Hi, I'm Garth Tanner. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm Lee Holdsworth. I'm James Courtney. We're the Forex Angels and you're listening to the V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. Jamie all but locks it up. Fantastic race win. I've never won here in Perth, so it's, uh, it's a great feeling. Brian doesn't offload his wreck, and Lowndes says he's not retiring yet. Uh, and my performance, I suppose, has shut the critics up. You know, we had, we've had a pole position and a race win. We look at all the Barbagillo action today as the lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Race 23 on Saturday was Jamie Wincup's 11th win of the year and all but secured him the championship. I felt like we had to uh, we had to sprint today and push hard and, and try to get that lead over 150 and that's, uh, that's what we've achieved. Todd Kelly picked up his first trophy for Kelly Racing, just one event after his brother. When you work so hard for something, it's a hell of a lot more rewarding. You know, the, the boys have done a magic job. And Mark Witterbottom showed why he liked racing in the West with a much more convincing third place result. You know the car I had last year is probably very similar to the car that Jamie's driving you can't do anything wrong it, it just all happens where this year you're, you're fighting a lot harder to try and achieve a, a slower lap time so the um, trying things that I guess we wouldn't normally try when we're fighting for championships so a few more risks and hopefully when it's hot next year we'll um, we'll have a you know a stronger car than what we had say two months ago. The biggest disappointment of the race was the Bundy red driver of David Reynolds who was solidly in second place when a loose wheel caused him to spear off the track and out of the event. About I was on top of the world running in second and you know looking very well very strong looking after my tyres and had a decent gap to Todd and it was about four seconds to Todd so I had enough buffer to even back it off for a couple of laps and still finish second. And then the wheel nut, the front left wheel nut rattled itself loose and uh, cut the tyre in half and got me a, gave me a flat tyre. Race 24 and the Triple Eight team showed why they are the dominant one of the era. With Craig Lowndes taking over from his teammate, using his soft tyres to perfection to claim the win in the 200km run. For us this weekend, uh, track's been very kind to us in the past and uh, both Jamie and I come here with a lot of confidence, a lot of hopeful results. I think this weekend showed that, uh, you know, like these guys have said, that you have to look after your soft tyres, you've got to use them at the right time. Stephen Johnson found his way to the podium with a strong second place finish just don't call him Mr. Consistent. I hate that. It's, uh, it's, it's hard to tell yourself to, to not push it because we're all race drivers. We all want to push as hard as we can and go as fast as we can. But, uh, you know, I didn't want to be going backwards as fast as I was going forwards at the end of the race. So I played it fairly safe. While Garth Tander's third place has kept the battle of the final spot on the podium in the championship definitely alive. Um, yeah, it was an up and down race, but um, you know we're happy with third. You know it would have been nice to win it, but um, you know to get a podium, a bag load of points is good for the team. Will Davison's championship hopes were crushed when the HRT driver found himself sliding into the pit wall following the Todd Kelly incident. I was actually trying to get on the radio at that point to uh, ask the guys if I was clear to move forward. 
And uh, just as I was doing that was when I actually got hit. And uh, I thought it would be a lot easier for the other cars to, to dodge a stationary vehicle than one that's sort of moving across the track. So um, it's a hard call. You know, if I had to try to drive forward, it probably still would have taken the back of the car out. Kelly says that the Kelly Racing Jack Daniels Commodore will almost become a museum pace following the impact from Lee Holsworth. We certainly won't have that car repaired this year. Uh, if anything, probably mid-next uh, mid year. Jamie Wincup pretty much secured the title with a fourth-place finish. The safety car again became an issue on Sunday when the deployment of it following the Kelly Rex saw more havoc ensue. Unlike Phillip Island, where the driver had followed the direction of the race director Tim Schenken to the letter, this time the safety car blocked pit lane and stopped on the circuit three corners after requested. Schenken telling Big Pond Sport that the driver did not follow his instructions. The V8 Insiders asked Cole Hitchcock from V8 Supercars Australia if it was time to have an experienced former driver in the safety car in the future. But we've done already this year. We've got Amber Anderson, who's a very accomplished uh, racing car driver in our own right. Unfortunately, uh, she wasn't in Perth for, for reasons beyond everybody's control. The drivers also spoke about their confusion and disappointment that the safety car is becoming an issue. I, I can't see how it takes three laps to sort something like that out, to be honest. So... Um you know, two two sort of uh, mistakes in two weekends probably needs to be looked at a little bit harder. Um, yeah, look, there's a bit of confusion for us there, and, and Tego was on the radio saying, I've got no idea what's going on. Just um, if the safety car pulls in front of you, don't hit it, and that's what we did. <laughs> Off the track and an emergent board meeting in Perth was held, which saw the final wreck that was considered up for sale to have it approved. Stephen Webb, father of Jonathan Webb, the Fujitsu Series leader, has been approved to purchase the Bright Wreck, but Jason Bright did not originally present it for sale. Bright told the V8 Insiders that he had only put the wreck up for a lease. He had no intention of selling it to Webb. He's not happy that the board rejected the lease agreement, but didn't instigate the emergent board meeting to have it sold. At the moment, Bright wants to make sure he's in a position to have both his wrecks on hand when the car of the future is launched in 2012. So at the moment, Webb, who is expected to contract out the running of the licence to Dick Johnson Racing, which Jonathan ran for during the Enduros, is still in a state of limbo. Jason Bright's also saying that Brad Jones Racing is an option for him in 2010, taking the seat vacated by Cam McConville. His endurance co-driver could join him at the team as they look to expand to a three-car operation, utilising Bright's wreck, which was leased to Paul Cruikshank this season. This means that Cruikshank, who sold his wreck to Rosenberg, and equipment to Webb will not be fielding a car in season 2010, following weeks of speculation that he might continue to lease the Bright Wreck for a pay drive. In other wreck news now, Tim Slade has confirmed that James Rosenberg is in discussions with Stone Brothers Racing to field a third car for the young driver. Jason Bagwana has been confirmed at Kelly Racing in 2010. Bargs, who returned to the series this season, is thrilled to link up with this new super team. I've always focused on the fact that I want to be in a competitive opportunity and I really respect what Todd and Rick and the whole team are putting together. And I think that uh, if you look at the teams that are on the up and up, this is certainly the one that uh, shines like a beacon at the moment. Craig Lowndes has told V8 Insiders that rumours of him starting his own team are completely false. 
<laughs> that, that, that is probably just a fact. It is a rumour. Uh, uh, for me, I'd never have, uh, uh, never want to, I should say, uh, own a race team in, the, in, in that sense. I uh, probably hire some people. I could never fire anyone. And uh, you know, really, uh, you know, my business now is probably not good enough to uh, to sit in that that uh, that top chair. It's uh, you know, I'd leave that up to Roland Dane and uh, and all the other bosses in in the sport. Lowndes countered that with a win in Perth and a few wise words. 35, and I think that, uh, you know, hopefully I've got another at least five, six, maybe more years in me yet, but uh, well, I, I suppose it's, it's one of those things that uh, everyone's got an opinion on everyone else, and, uh, you know, um, I think uh, uh, Craig Wilson has come out and, uh, you know, branded me as the, as the old man of the sport. Well, I don't need your rocking chair. So Craig Lowndes won't need that rocking chair. No, definitely not yet. And, uh, and if I get to that point, I, I want a motorised wheelchair it's, uh, with, with some set of mags and, uh, and probably some flames at the back. It's, um, no, no, far from it. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders. After the break, Tony Shebecki and Briar Gunther join me. Later in the show, we hear from Todd Kelly. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen from the Stone Brothers Racing SP Tools. You're listening to V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week from SEN Radio, it's On The Grid's Tony Shebecki. Good evening, Tony. Good evening to you, Craig. And from Big Pond Sport, VNX Magazine, and a whole host of, uh, well, things we can't even start to mention now, Briar Gunther. Good evening, Briar. Hi, Craig. It has been an interesting weekend you enjoyed in Barbagello, where we've pretty much seen the championship wrapped up, Briar. Yeah, that's right. Well, after that, um, after all the fluid on the, the track after, well, during the race 24 on Sunday, and um, Will Davison crashing into the wall and, and subsequently having to DNF, um, that pretty much put him out of the championship race. And it looks like, well, Jamie's pretty much home and hose, so all he has to do is circulate at home bush and it's in the bag for him. Now for Triple Eight, that's two championships in a row. Tony, they had the disappointment of not getting a fourth Bathurst, but uh, it's been made up for in spades with two championships now. Yeah, it certainly has, Craig. And look, uh Good luck to him in taking this one because I think it might be another year or two before they get another one. Uh, even though, you know, they're they've, uh, switching sides next year and they move to the Holden. Just don't know how super competitive they'll be early on. And uh, obviously it was Jamie's wins in the, the first part of the season that really set up this victory towards the end. Because obviously, as we know, in the middle, it just didn't all work for them. So they're going to have to be right on their game next year to make it a three-piece for Team Vodafone. I just get that feeling that, you know, they might just be a fraction off in the first few races at least anyway, and that could harm their chances for doing that. Mm. Now, Tony, one thing I'd like to get your thoughts on is the safety car. In race 24, once again, it was a factor in the race. It uh, blocked pit lane. It went out and didn't stop in when when the race director said so. And uh, I think it's about time that rather than you have just uh, volunteer officials or people paying for a ride in the uh, safety car, you get serious and... Get a John Bow or get a Jim Richards into that car that understands what's going out 
on out there and has been at that top level. What about you? Before I give you my thoughts, Craig, I'll ask you, do you have a delay button? Yes, <laughs> no. Okay, then I'll temper my thoughts a little bit uh, in that regard then. What has happened in the last two races at Phillip Island and at Perth have been absolutely ridiculous situations that have made the sport look to be extremely amateurish, and we know it's anything but that. But from people looking on the outside, they think, what in the hell is happening here? As we all did, too, in the media area. From what I believe on, uh, on Sunday, the, the situation there was that uh, the, uh, the safety car apparently ignored Tim Schenken's request and uh, Tim Schenken also defending himself by saying he couldn't see that, uh, that Garth Tander hadn't gone into the pits. He'd tripped the, uh, the signal to say that he had, but as we know, there was confusion and he had to go back out. So it was just a massive, massive balls up by everyone in this regard, and they really need to fix it. You're right, let's get more professional about this, guys, and let's not make the sport look you know, foolish. And better still, let's make sure that no-one has a serious accident due to the fact that uh, this hasn't been fixed up because Phillip Island could have been absolutely disastrous in regards to what could have happened on the track and there's no doubt with two cars laying uh, in the middle of the track at, at Perth the same thing could have happened as well with everyone still doing race speed so it needs to be fixed, no questions, it needs to be fixed now. Briar, it was your story on Big Pond that really highlighted this uh, second incident. Well, that's right, because, I mean, as, as Tony said, it could look like amateur hour to viewers, but the thing is there actually was no no viewing action of what was going on on Channel 7. For some reason, the cameras did not pick up, I think just due to the, the nature of Barbara Gallo being such a, a short uh, lap track and um, with them all focusing on, on all the pit lane stuff, they actually missed um, that the safety car was sitting out off the side of the track at about turn four. So um, it wasn't until sort of the media started questioning up questioning afterwards um, that this all actually came to the fore. I mean, I heard you up in the media centre, Tony, with, um, with Gerald when you were doing the, um, the, your, uh, your show on, on SEN, and I mean, everyone up there was going, like, what is going on? What is the safety car doing sitting out there? Because we could see it. I was very fortunate, because usually I work out of the, uh, the Big Pond media trucks. So I was very fortunate to be up there at the time to actually view what was going on, because otherwise I wouldn't have had any idea either. Um, but look, there's some big questions that need to be asked. Um, ultimately, as they say, it was allegedly due to the, um, the driver not listening to instructions. Um, people like Tim Schenken, who's the race director, really don't have any um, actions over that when they're trying to tell the safety car driver what they should be doing and they're just ignoring that. But like you said, twice in a row, it really doesn't look good. Um, you know, even Gus Tander said it made the sport look bad, but as I did say, um, a lot of people actually weren't aware of it until a lot longer after the race. Mm. Um, I mean, there's just a few things that you could do to, um, to change that. As you mentioned, installing a, a full-time driver who has the knowledge of, of strategy and, and the pits and how it all works. Um, that's one option. Uh, closing the pit lane, that's another. I mean, there's a number of different options. And another one that's been thrown up to me is that you actually just, well, the safety car just picks up the, the next driver that, that's coming past and you work out the, the grid order after that. And, I mean, as they proved at Indy, which was only three, three events ago, when they regridded the field after the first um, the lap one, uh, turn one incident, they actually can reorder the grid quite easily. So um, hopefully there'll be some, some looking into that and some changes made for next year. Mm. Yeah, tell Greg Murphy that that works. It's uh, the regridding. Yeah, well, it's always going to be controversial, but I think they'd have a lot more confidence and respect in the whole process if they they knew that the man driving the car was someone like well, a bow or like a. Actually, 
Richards. It, well, it wasn't. A, it actually caused a safety issue in itself because you had two things. Number one was the safety car was sitting off the side of the road from what I believe to be a blind spot. Had a driver actually missed the corner, he would have snacked right into the back of that safety car. Mm. I mean, we could see it quite visibly from where we were, but as a driver in a car, you may have missed it. And the other thing was, was you've got this accident down at the last turn between Todd and, and Lee, and all the cars are trying to scramble around him. You've got the race crews trying to get down to them. In the end, they just gave up because they were able to, that, that being Todd and, and Lee, were able to get themselves out of the mess. And, you know, it, it just actually caused two um, major, major safety issues when the safety car is supposed to stop that. The one, the one thing that surprises me, guys, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when the safety car is on the course, regardless of whether it's got green lights or yellow lights flashing, if the safety car has been deployed, I would have thought that the course is under full yellow. Now, that didn't seem to be the case here. There were no yellow flags flying at all in this regard, and hence the reason why cars were still doing 100, 110 k's around the final bend into the front straight. I would have thought that once the safety car is deployed, from that point on, you are on full course yellow. Well, see, that's the thing. There is no such thing to well, my to understanding as full course yellow. We don't have that American uh, mentality that says we gather up the field behind the safety car and, and perhaps that's one way we can look at it. You well, don't open the pits because yeah. the guys just dive into the pits. They take advantage of the situation and they try to get to pit lane as quickly as possible if they, if they need to have their pit stop. Maybe we need to say, all right, we're going to gather the field up behind the pace car or the, the safety car, and then you can peel into pit lane once we know it's clear, once we know that everyone's in the right order. Now, that brings a whole different level of strategy to V8 supercar racings, which they've never really had to deal with before. Yeah, look, I, I can tell you what, though. It ain't going to happen in Sydney. Sydney is the big jewel in the crown for V8 supercars this year, and you can be guaranteed that everything there will want to go absolutely mickey mouse so you won't have this problem in sydney no we'll talk about sydney and more when we return on the v8 insiders the views expressed on v8 insiders including the panelists and guests do not reflect those of the network thunder media sportradio.com.au or v8x magazine any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of thunder media is strictly prohibited Hi, I'm Tony Delberto from Rod Nash Racing. You're listening to V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Brian Gunther from Big Pond Sport and Tony Shebecki from SEN's On The Grid. And, of course, I think you're still doing the news every morning on SEN as well, Tony? Yes. Uh, sorry, I missed that, Craig. Sorry, just dropped out there. You're still doing the news every morning on SEN? Yes, still am, yeah. And news in after, morning and afternoon just depends on what shift the boss decides to give me. So, uh, no, we're still uh, still here on, on a full-time basis. I'd be uh, wanting more afternoon shifts than mornings, I could tell you that much, Tony. <laughs> Guys, we are talking about Homebush. Just quickly now, what do you think? Is Homebush going to be the biggest success in V8 Supercar history? Is it going to be lukewarm and take a few years to get there? Or is it going to be a flop? Tony, what's your feeling? It won't be a flop. 
I think it'll be far from a flop. It'll probably be better than what they've had in Sydney before. And, of course, Eastern Creek has always uh, been a bit disappointing for VA2 because So they're definitely going to get better than that. And I think the concert with uh, Cole Chisel and the like is really going to help the Saturday crowd. Whether it's going to translate into a Sunday crowd or not, I'm not too sure. They're expecting 150,000 uh, over the three days. I would have thought if they get over 100, they would have been pretty happy. But, look, I hope it's a success. I mean, I just want to see Sydney people come out to a sporting event and, and actually support something. And uh, hopefully it can be V8 supercars. But it's a grand finale. It doesn't carry the weight that it may have had Jamie Winkup not have uh, had the great weekend that he had in, in Perth. So, yeah, it would have been nicer if there was only 30 or 40 points between the top two. I'm tipping just over 100,000 for the three days, and I think they'd be pretty happy with that first up. Brian, what about you? Well, I've actually heard a, a number of people um, throwing a bit of negativity against it, saying it won't be a hit. Um, but I sincerely hope that it does. I think it's a bit too early yet to say uh, whether it will or will not be, um, just purely because, as Terry touched on, the, um, the crowd in Sydney is such a hard market. Getting them to turn up is just such a hard thing. Um, they've already been, or there's already been about 40,000 tickets sold so far, so that translates to about 120,000 people showing up over, over the three days so long as they're not there for the after five o'clock activities, which, of course, is the concerts. And that's what a bit of the concern is um, amongst the the people and and those that are in the media that, you know, they're sort of saying, oh, a lot of them are only going to turn up for cold chisel and and they won't bother turning up for the racing. But I really hope that's not the case. I mean, VH Supercars have done everything to, to try and make sure that people do turn up to this event and not just those that are race fans, but, you know, the general Sydney public. But... As we've touched on, I mean, getting them out to an event, that being the Sydney Siders, it can be hard. So they've got a bit of a job on their hands. I'm only going for the concert. <laughs> hey, uh, let's uh, look at... We have got this huge race in two weeks' time, but we had some huge news last week with the Rex, the board making their decision on which way the Rex are all going to fall. And it, it's interesting because we are going to see from this not a lot of real brand-new teams starting up. I think... Uh, we're just seeing consolidation of teams buying in almost as a as a uh, as a silent partner into some of the better established teams, and those teams, of course, are going to be. It's expected Brad Jones Racing will get the Bright Wreck. It's expected that Stone Brothers will get the uh, Rosenberg Wreck, and it's expected that um, uh, Dick Johnson Racing will get the Webb Wreck. And so that only relieves Dumbrell, and you'd have to figure with uh, Paul going to FPR, you might actually see four cars out of FPR, which would mean that uh, really the rich got richer in a sense of uh, Jada, and we are going to see actually less teams out there in a sense of manufacturers and and, uh, engineering. Tony, what's your thoughts on that? Look, at the end of the day... It's going to be the same number of cars, so you're right, they're not bringing in new teams, and I suppose it's going to be tough for new teams to come in if they don't have the factory backing and the like. It still is a fairly expensive sport to get involved with. I think the main thing is, though, as long as we've still got the same number of cars and we don't see that diminish, where the teams race out of and the like doesn't really bother me at all. Uh, you know, 28, 29 cars on the grid, that's what we want to see. The hardest part for me is I've got to get used to new colours and new numbers and the like uh, for cars when commentating the races next year, so... That's always a lot of fun, but uh, yeah, as I said, let's let's make sure that we don't diminish the numbers on the grid. Whoever's got the licences doesn't really matter. Mm. And of course, I have to apologise because Tony Di is going to do his own thing, 
buying stuff out of uh, Walkinshaw Performance. So I did miss that one. My apologies. But, Briar, your thoughts on this uh, cons- consolidation? Well, speaking of Tony and, and his venture to go it alone, I mean, it, it's nothing against them at all. But to be honest, uh, the general nature of V8 supercars in this era seems to be that you actually move towards or gravitate towards a, a bigger team and, and you join up with them and form an alliance in whatever shape or form. And that way you're getting all that extra data and resources and, and all that sort of thing. And, and it's just purely to be competitive. So to be honest, I'm not sure if the, um, the single car team is, is the way of the future. So I wish the Dalbertas um, all the best. But um, it seems like those like the Rosenberg license and um, others are, you know, heading in the right direction. You speak to anyone in pit lane and, and the general feeling is that super teams are the way to go. And the other thing that you have to remember as well is that Abu Dhabi is only 12 weeks away. So with these guys that are coming in a bit fresh um, and buying wrecks, they've only got 12 weeks to, to prepare for Abu Dhabi. So, I mean, you know, if it was me, I'd be linking up with the team and, and getting all the knowledge I can to to have it, to make sure that, you know, such a quick turnaround is, is not going to impede on 2010. It is interesting, you, your 12 weeks, you're mentioning that there because uh, speaking to Todd Kelly... Uh, this week and um, he's with the car of the future on the horizon he's foreshadowed that we uh, he that the team's not going to be doing much R&D because they're just going to save all their money for the car of the future Tony yeah it's an interesting one I mean they say the car of the future is a reality I, I think a lot of people do hope it is obviously there's going to be some uh, some cost cutting there for it I still have an issue with it, though. I really think that the way we're going now in regards to, you know, you've got specific, even though they're not real Commodores and Falcons that you see on the road, but a derivative of, I still like to see that. And, uh, you know, and, and you know the different manufacturer parts and all that sort of stuff, I think, make what we have very special. And I don't know whether the car of the future is the way to go. I really don't. But I can see, you know, why would teams start developing uh, and, and working on new things now when it possibly in two years time we could have this car of the future i think what it needs is for someone to come out in the very near future a decision of the future maybe in in the near future over the next month or two and say this is definitely the way we're going so team teams know exactly where they stand i don't think they can afford to leave a decision on this till the middle of next year mm. this is gas and go here on the v8 insiders brought to you by v8x magazine of course with the bathurst winner on the cover and plenty more inside it's on sale now at all good news agents and probably the bad ones have it too v8x magazine it's on sale now and they bring you gas and go briar Paul Cruikshank is going to be sitting on the sidelines somewhat in V8 Supercars next year, not owning a team, and not at the moment announcing that he's going to be running one. Is the sport lost for losing a character like Paul Cruikshank? Well, I wouldn't say lost, uh, Craig, and that's only because I, I reckon that Paul will be able to pick something up. So I think we'll still see him around the um, the pits. It is a great shame that as a, an owner, he's um, decided to, to sell up. He's one of the good guys in pit lane. There's lots of them, of course, but, you know, he's, he's right up there and um, he's got his head screwed on the right way. And um, also, you know, he has a great understanding of how the sport works. So uh, there's hints that he will be going to other teams. He's actually... Uh, selling up his house at the Gold Coast. They want to move back to Melbourne. That's him and his family. His wife is from Melbourne, so they're making a bit of a fresh start and he's hoping to get some work with a Melbourne team. So that is likely to be a, a Holden team, so we might be switching sides, um, but I'm sure that we'll still see him around. Tony, your thoughts? 
Yeah, having had a chat to Paul on the weekend, I can uh, pretty much assure you that he's all but signed a deal with a team to uh, to be with them next year. He couldn't announce any names to me, but said that, that he's just about uh, on the verge of doing that. And look, he's wrapped with what uh, he got for the uh, the price for his licences. Uh, it was sort of a, uh, you know, can't afford not to do it type situation. And I think we might just see Paul Cookshank back in uh, the owner's chair in the next 12 to 24 months when things just settle down a little bit. Well, and Tony, to you, we do have a lot of interest in the new teams coming in. Out of the guys that we know of, who do you think is going to do the best? Dialberto, Dumbrell, uh, Rosenberg or Webb? I'm probably putting my finger towards Dumbrell in the regard. I know it's a, a new thing for Lucas uh, in regards to the team ownership, but I think just with the financial backing that he's going to have from uh, from the Autobahn uh, money that is available for him, I think that that's going to be, you know, with his dad and the like, I think that's going to be a massive advantage for him. So if I was to pick one of those four, I'm probably going to go Dumbrell in order, Rosenberg next, and then uh, Webb and Delberto, probably a close third. Brian? Just on paper, I would have to say uh, the Rosenberg and that one being Tim Slade, uh, just purely on form this year. Uh, Tony Dalberto does have more experience uh, in terms of V8 supercar racing and, and seasons. But, uh, I mean, Tim, you know, really showed us something a bit special this year when he um, went out and pulled that lap record at, at Queensland Raceway. Queensland Raceway, I think it yep. was. That's uh, it. it was a few re- events ago. So, um, yeah, I'd say on paper at the moment I'd put my money on Tim Slade, followed by Tony Dalberto. All right, there's one seat left at Kelly Racing. Who's got the big enough wallet to get it, do you think? Mm, Brian? That's a good one. Oh, that's one that, yeah, just put me on the spot. It just depends, like you said, who's got the, the bigger wallet. Um, I mean, whether they keep McNally, if the money's still rolling in from him, I'm sure they'd be more than happy to um, to keep him, even though his times um, really haven't been up to scratch. I mean, you know, I don't want to lump on the poor guy, but... Uh, everyone was cutting, you know, 57, 58s at, um, at Barbagallo, and he was on a, a one-minute-plus. So, you know, who knows if, if he'll be back or if they'll um, they'll elect someone else. I, I really can't answer that at the moment. Tony? Yeah, look, I think McNally might probably be in the box seat, but I'd love to see a, uh, a Steve Owen probably come back into the sport. I just don't know whether he's uh, whether what he's got cash-wise or the like, but I'd like to see him back in a full-time drive. But uh, I think you're right, Brian. I think probably uh, Mark has the box seat at the moment, seeing he's already there. Did the Minister for Sport, Tony, do enough in WA to make sure that provisional date gets turned into a guarantee? Yes. Brian? Yes, I have to agree. Uh, Just purely because, I mean, beforehand, B8 was sort of using a bit of leverage and saying, you know, well, I don't know if we're going to turn up. This $5 million isn't going where we want it to. And he's been able to sit down with Tony Cochran and Mark Scaife and and work through a few things, so I'd have to say yes too. We've got a situation where you have two tracks that are all doing sub-one-minute laps. Do we need more tracks at sub-one-minute laps for the way the racing is? Or should we just get them all out to those minute, two-minute length tracks, Tony? No, I think we're at a good mix at the moment. I like where we're at. You've got some really good sprint tracks. It's exactly the same with NASCAR. You've got your your half mile, your miles, uh, you've got different ovals. I think we need different size circuits just to break it all up a bit. And uh, I think where we're at at the moment is probably pretty much the perfect mix. And Brian? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it is a, at a bit of a, a stage where it's at the perfect mix, but, I mean, it is always great to have those little tracks. Like, that's what I do love about Barbara Gallo. Sure, it's a bit decrepit and everything, but you can generally see most of the track, and that's purely because it is a short one. So I, I really like that about it. It's good for the fans. Um, you know, if you're up in a, a corporate box, you, you can watch pretty much the whole thing from there, and it just adds a bit more atmosphere and excitement. And finally, Tony... Paul Morris is going to start racing World of Outlaws Sprint Cars. Is it V8 Supercars loss or World of Outlaws gain? No, definitely their gain, and definitely a gain for Paul Morris. He absolutely loves the sprint cars. I know that uh, during the Phillip Island round, he actually boarded a helicopter on the Saturday night to fly over to Avalon to have a bit of a, a race, but unfortunately the car that he was uh, set to drive uh, didn't make it onto the track, so he's a little bit disappointed about that. I know our good mate John Evans also travelled in the helicopter with him to go see the night. So, uh, no, he loves his sprint cars and fantastic. A happy Paul Morris will make uh, Super Cheap Team a happy team and a happy Super Cheap Team is uh, going to be hopefully a successful one for them. And uh, who knows, they could... Well, they need to be happy, don't they? They're going to have a couple of very interesting drivers next year with <laughs> Russell Ingle and the possibility of... Uh, well, the real possibility of Greg Murphy being there. It's a, a very interesting combination. Uh, he was about to say, Briar, at least there'll be one happy person out of the three superstars no, there. That. No, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, Paul loves doing his overseas stuff and it gives him, him a bit of a break and, and lets him see how the other half lives. So... Um, yeah, no, it, it's good for him and um, I hope he does well. That's all we have time for on Gas and Go and on the V8 Insiders. I just need to say Gas and Go is brought to you by V8X Magazine. It's on sale now with the Bathurst winner on the cover. Briar Gunther from V8X Magazine, thanks very much for your time once again. Thanks, Craig. And Tony, everyone can catch you either online or on SEN each Sunday morning. From 7 o'clock every Sunday morning, Craig, yep, exactly. And uh, if you can't get near a television but you need to hear live coverage of the uh, event up in Sydney, then you can always just catch us there as well uh, Sunday week. Streaming live? Yeah, we'll be streaming it live. Fantastic. We will look forward to seeing you both in Sydney. And that's all we have time for on the roundtable this week on the V8 Insiders. Up next, it's the White Flag Lap and Todd Kelly. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth from the Valvoline Cummins team. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. On this week's White Flag Lap, we talked to Todd Kelly about finally getting his first trophy for his own team. Yeah, well, we said uh, at the initiation of Kelly Racing that we'd uh, aim to get the cars on the pace by the end of the year, and uh, people that aren't heavily involved in the industry don't probably realise how big a task that actually is, that, uh, but it was a realistic goal, or what we thought was a realistic goal at the start, and we've been through a fair bit this year with all of our uh, research and development and, uh, and the whole team's done a fantastic job to actually get to the point now where the cars can come out of the, the transporters at each track and, and have a shot at being on the podium, which is fantastic. We spoke to you at Queensland Raceway just before we were heading into that uh, enduro zone, and 
you were getting a little bit frustrated, I think, that you hadn't got up into that top 10 as regularly as you'd like. Now, when you look at Homebush to go, do you, do you think maybe you were being a bit too ambitious? No, well, we got to the point of the year, which was about Queensland, where we'd done all of our R&D and we were going to the uh, each event with a different spec car, you know, with new bits coming online all the time. And, and that's a little bit hard when you don't have continuity like that. And Queensland Raceway this year was the round where we finished getting all the new stuff on the car. So since then, our cars have basically stayed exactly the same and we've just gone about learning how to tune them properly. And um, and that sort of was really our turning point of the year. Since we've had the same car at every round that we've been to, we've started to really accumulate some good data and learn what the car's like. And you know we're quite confident that we should be able to go to most tracks now and and be close to being on the money right from the start of the weekend. So certainly looking forward to Homebush being the last round of the year, uh, trying to stay on the form that we've had for the last two rounds. Mm. Of course, it's stay on the formula, but you're jumping into a Perkins engineering car after the incident at Wanneroo on the weekend. Yeah, it's a little bit of a shame. It's, um, you know, we've, to be fair, we've had a fairly good run this year with uh, accident damage, but it was pretty sad to see the car after our last round in Perth. It, um, it was probably a worst-case scenario where the, the car that hit me um, missed the A and the B pillar of the car and, and most of the force went straight through the, the roll cage and took out the whole side of the car. So we should have the car back at the workshop later this week and we'll do a full assessment, but we certainly won't have that car repaired this year, uh, if anything, probably mid-next uh, mid year before we get that one back together if we can actually repair it at all. So it is a little bit sad when you see one of your own cars uh, in that state, but you know that's what we go and do. So all part of the game. Of course, uh, this week you've uh, had the highs and lows. You're on the podium and then the car's wrecked, but you also got to make an interesting announcement on Monday where Jason Barguana is going to join your team. Yeah, it's fantastic news for us. You know, To, to have someone of Jason's experience and, and calibre as a driver in our team is, is massive. Uh, one of the biggest things that we struggle with this year is that Rick and I actually drive the cars so similar we find it quite hard to learn things off each other. So to have someone like Jason jump in the car who's, you know, won races and he had a pole position at, at uh, the Gold Coast the other week, to have someone of that calibre helping to push Rick and I along will be will be a big bonus. And uh, we actually started out in the Young Lions program together, myself and Jason Barguana in 1997. So it's um, it's funny that we've, you know, all ended up uh, back in the same place. But no, the, the whole team's really wrapped about it and... Uh, can't wait to see what he can do in one of our cars next year. How many people are vying for that fourth seat? Um, a fair few, as you could imagine, and it's a, it's a bit of a hard one trying to get a sponsor and a driver to align, and uh, obviously you can't get one without the other, so it's one of the hardest things we've found in running our own team is, is trying to get uh, naming right sponsors and good drivers in uh, you know in, in the other cars, so it's, um, it's certainly nowhere near being signed off yet, and uh, It'll probably be like this year. It'll be the death knock probably around Christmas or just after before we can put that deal together. But it's certainly good to have at least one of those locked away with uh, with Jason. Mm. Now, we've talked about the engineering. How are you looking at 2010 and 2011, knowing that 2012 there is going to be the car of the future? Yeah, well, the good thing about uh, our situation is we've done a massive amount of work in our first six months this year with... 
uh, changing the spec of all the components. And we've got to the point where we're pretty happy with uh, running running what we've got. And the biggest gains are probably just learning how to uh, tune what we've got and get the most out of what we've got. If you go and change something in the car now, it'll take uh, two or three rounds to really find the window of where the setup needs to be with the car. So we're probably not going to do a hell of a lot of development ourselves over that period anyway. And we're certainly being quite careful about how many new chassis we build as well, because that will obviously, you know, become redundant when the when the new car comes out. So um, it's good to have plenty of notice, and the category's done a fantastic job with how it rolls the whole thing out. And uh, we'll make sure that we basically run out of everything that uh, we aren't allowed to run from that point on, and uh, it gives us plenty of time to do that. Tomorrow we will have a special V8 Insiders extra with the full Todd Kelly interview, more from David Reynolds and Craig Lowndes. I hope you join us then. My thanks to Briar Gunther and Tony Shebecki as the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders. Keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.